TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. TGIF 1500 Faithful, especially heading into a holiday weekend. This is the Scoop Podcast, heard each and every Friday night here on Score North, scorenorth.com, or maybe you have the Score North app. If you don't, I highly recommend it. Or maybe you're just listening on your conventional radio, 1500 AM. If you're listening to us on one of those HD radios, congratulations, you are listening on a different frequency. This particular episode is episode 232, episode 231, which is available right now, recorded earlier this week, has all sorts of Wolves draft notes, which I may get to, may update on this podcast. It also includes a lengthy conversation with Joel Corey, NFL salary cap expert, former agent for the likes of John Randall, Ed McDaniel, so many other players. He laid out in great detail how the Vikings still can create some cap space, why they still need to create some cap space even after the Eric Kendricks restructure, and everything salary cap related to the Vikings. So if you have interest in the Vikings and their salary cap situation, not something that we're used to around here, but hey, it's a different time right now when you have a quarterback making nearly $30 million a year. So if you're interested in the Viking salary cap situation, I highly recommend you search out, you find, you listen to Scoop Podcast episode 200. And 31. We'll start this episode, 232, with twin scouting director Sean Johnson. The Major League Baseball draft starts in what, like 10 days? It's Monday, June 3rd. The Twins have four picks in the top 100. Their first pick is 13th overall. You think about last year, Trevor Larnick of Oregon State was the Twins' first round pick. His future looks bright. A couple years ago, with Sean running the Twins draft, they took Royce Lewis, number one overall. Royce, after a little bit of a slow start at high class A, is now performing very well. Royce Lewis is on a path to the major league. So it's fun to follow the Twins' prospects, and the Twins will welcome a bunch of new prospects to their organization in just a couple weeks. So let's talk about this year's draft with Sean Johnson. Sean, I appreciate your time. Let's start with you scouting director in charge. I mean, you are the guy in that draft room. I mean, you have final say. This is your third year of having final say. I guess how, how Sean, have things changed for you, your role, going back to, what, December of 2016 when you were elevated to Twin Scouting Director? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, not much has changed other than we're just, every year we're trying to, you know, enhance our process and how we look at the draft and look at the draft board and how we make decisions. Uh, that's something I've, me personally, I've tried to dig down on and, uh, you know, try to make things better in that, in that uh, department. And really taking more of a, more of a, a look with our, our, our personnel and spend more time with, you know, we've, we have an influx of newer, younger scouts that we haven't had for around for a long time. And so we, we, uh, you know, spend a lot of time with those guys. And so I really enjoy the, the, the people part of the job and the, the personality that we have on our staff. It's a really talented staff and I couldn't be more proud to be the leader of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do have the final say and all that, but I, I don't really, I look at it as just I'm the leader and, you know, I just try to trust our, our people that are across the country, you know, doing, spending a lot of time and effort on these players and as am I, but, uh, you know, it's more about the people and 
our staff and developing the guys on our staff and moving the group forward that I really love the most. Um, so I, you need someone in the room to, to break a tie every now and then, but you know, all, all of our decisions, I, I feel like are group decisions and a lot of people get input we get input from a lot of different directions and really having a holistic approach to the draft is, is what uh, I'm probably the most proud of in the last three years. Sean, when you say enhance the process, how is the process more enhanced now than maybe even, say, last year at this time? Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much deeper it's gone. I think, you know, we use a decision-making model, and I think we have more information for that. We, we feel like it's, our, our model is getting smarter and smarter, um, helping us make better decisions every year, and that, that's come a long way in uh, just, the, you know, we've had it the last three years. So, um <clears throat> That part has definitely been improved, I think, and we just know more. We have more data to use. And, and so I guess that's the, the biggest driver of all of our our uh, process that's new from maybe, let's say, five or ten years ago is we have so much information and data and people who can analyze it and uh, put it into use for us to, to help me. You know, like I said, I'm trying to make a decision for that's best for the group and our staff and for the organization and, and Having all this information that we have that we did not have before, whether it be TrackMan or uh, Blast data, you know, it, there's all kinds of things that are in play and and we use in the room. Um, and we're just doing a deeper dive on every player. Like I said, uh, we're trying to look at players from every approach possible through the the eyeball test at the park versus uh, a college player's entire career um, and try not to just use the importance of the the i you know what i saw that day at the park versus what this guy's done for three or four years in college um weighing that appropriately and, it, and it's all a balancing act but uh something i i enjoy personally a lot how much tougher is the balancing act when talking about high school players so it's one thing when talking about all the data you have on a college player who maybe has played for three or four years in college and you might even have a book on that player going back to you know, whether he played for Team USA, you know, 18 and under, 16 and under, you know, going back to his to his high school career. But what about specifically high school players? How hard is it to evaluate high school players? Yeah, I think there's a reason why, you know, teams try to veer towards taking college players. There's less risk. You know more about the player. There's, there's less chance for uh, injury because they've made it through, you know, till their year 21 season. And um, so you've got basically a year, a year and a half to get to know these high school players, know what they're about, know how they're wired, try to understand their, their makeup, their personality. And you see their tools change, their bodies change from the time you see them. Uh, let's say it's this upcoming June, we see the USA group for next year's draft. Those guys will change a lot. Um, from this June till next June. So we have, we go, we watch those players a lot. We spend a lot of time on them, and you have to because you have to stay with them. Like I said, because of the the volatility of the players in that in that demographic. So we we try to do uh, you know a, a thorough job on those guys and spend a lot of time and ask a lot of people ab- about the player. Um, and so it's it's a challenge, and but there's a lot of uh, upside and a lot of reward in that group. So we feel like you know we want to stay in 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 both the college market and the high school. Before we get to this year's draft, 
What about, I mean, think about it. I mean, your first overall pick as the guy was a high school player, right? I mean, it was Royce Lewis. So, Sean, when you talk about fulfillment, what about just for you? I mean, how rewarding is it to see a guy like Royce? And I got off to a little bit of a slow start this year, although of late he's been great. I mean, I think we all think that at some point Royce Lewis will be up here. He'll be the Major League team's starting shortstop, that his future remains incredibly, incredibly bright. How much pride do you take in seeing a guy like that when even with the first overall pick, it's still to some degree an inexact science when you do take a high school player? Yeah, I would say our, our group feels a, a tremendous amount of pride with how Royce has started off his career. And, uh, you know, I think we took a little heat for, for taking him, which is, you know, no one ever asks you how who you took at 20 or 25 in the draft. It's always that the, 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 uh, you know, the number one pick comes with that mm-hmm. uh, criticism. So uh, I think, I think we're, we're proud of our process there. We, we knew Royce Lewis better than the industry did. We stayed with it. We saw him evolve as a shortstop before our eyes, and, and we we held on to that. And part of that was knowing Royce, the player, the person, uh, what he was, how he was wired, and where he was at in his stage of development. He was a younger player who hadn't spent a lot of time at shortstop or in the middle infield, even on his own high school team, and uh, or even with the Team USA group. So our our job did a, our team did a great job of staying with it and understanding who he was and what we thought he could what we thought he could be both offensively and defensively so yeah absolutely we're we're proud of that pick to the to up until now for sure and and Royce is such a great kid and we think the sky's the limit for him and and we're obviously proud to have him in our system looking at this year's draft you have four picks in the top 3 rounds you have pick 13 you have pick 39 pick 54 pick 90 i guess specifically on pick 13 is this a good year to be picking at pick 13? Uh, yeah, I think it just matters how you frame the conversation, but we're excited about what will be available at 13. Uh, the kind of the way I've kind of explained it to some other people is when you pick in the teens, whether I, you know, in, in, if you're in the top 10, you're taking guys who have absolutely performed, who have the, the best tools and skills in the draft. You know they're going to be there. And then if you're picking in the back end of the first round, you're taking guys who are kind of just what's left. They're probably going to be okay players, but um, you're not. You're there's just less uh, risk of missing on a guy with a bunch of upside. So, in between those two regions, you know where we we're at, um, you've got guys that are coming to 13 per se that shouldn't have been there because they didn't have as good of a year as you know they had hoped or we had hoped or thought they would have. And then you've got some guys who are, had great years that you didn't anticipate in that in that group of players. So you've got this two-lane highway where guys are falling towards you, quote-unquote, and then guys that are climbing up into your mix. So um, you're evaluating them from a lot of different angles and, and trying to make sense of it. So, But we're, we're excited about the, the crop and what's going to be available at 13. We're, we're, we're excited, and we think we're going to get a good player there. Is the crop strongest at 13, maybe with – college hitters and the only reason I say that is Mike Radcliffe was on this podcast this time last week and he said at this point if he had to bet he thinks you guys will end up taking a college hitter at pick 13. Yeah I, I think uh, I think he probably said that because we, the absolutely the strength of the first round is is college hitters without question. There are three or four probably college pitchers that will go uh, in the first round if I had to bet and you know, I think a majority of those 
four will be somewhere in our mix. There, there may be one or two that don't get there before we pick, but um, who knows? There's a lot of time for things to change between now and the draft, but there's just more hitters to take than there are college pitchers. Uh, the high school pitching market is very thin in our opinion this year. And I don't, I wouldn't anticipate there be a high school pitcher that goes before us. So I, I you're going to see a bunch of hitters go off the board real quick. And then I think there'll be some left for us to choose from. Um, so we'll see. It's hard. It's hard to, hard to tell what's going to be there just yet. But uh, by and large, I think, I, I forget what the record is for most hitter, college hitters taken in the first round, but I think it's close to 14 or 15. And I think you'll, you'll, see, that, you'll see that this year. All right, remind us. I mean, I think we all, this time of the year, Sean, we need our memories refreshed. Take us through how much you have pool money-wise and what that exactly means. So you have, you can explain the exact number, but you have X amount of dollars to spend. And is it just your first 10 rounds and is it possible to exceed that pool limit? And I guess, I mean, this is this is all loaded right here. I mean, there's there's 12 different tentacles to to this question. So take as long as you want, Sean. Sure. But but also, can you? Okay, so can you go over the pool? And okay, if you do, are there penalties? And how exactly is your set of money determined? Because the money you have to spend on signing your top 10 round draft picks is different than every other team. Yeah, so depending on how many picks you have in the first 10 rounds, so the Diamondbacks have uh, they have a ton of picks. I, don't even, I forget how many they have, but their, their pool is each, each pick in the first 10 rounds has a dollar amount assigned to it by the, by the commissioner's office. So you get a total of whatever those numbers add up to. We have an extra pick at 39, which I think the slot's just over 1.9 million. So our total, our total slot uh, values are just under 10 million, I think 9.9. So you can spend that money however you see fit. You could spend 9 million, 9.9 on your first pick and, and pump the rest, or you could spread it out. So it gives you flexibility. And I look at it as having an extra, extra pick gives you a chance to be more creative with your money. Um, so it, it, it really allows you to get into the high school market. Um, because those players end up costing a little bit more as the draft goes on. So, um, you know, we're excited about that part of it and uh, having the opportunity because, uh, you know, I think our pool is, I'm not sure where we were towards the top end, I think, because we have that extra pick of the industry. But I think some teams have upwards of 15, 16 million. So yeah, just to give you some perspective. Yeah, so you, you, can, you can spread the money however you see fit. And those dollars, that, that pool is a number that's given to us by the commissioner's office. Sure, and I mean, we saw this with your first draft, right, where you got Royce Lewis a little under that number one slot, then we're able to go over a later slot to sign a high school pitcher. So, I mean, there is a strategy to how you spend your money, right? I mean, you know, you yeah. I mean, you say it's exciting, but it also just has to be, it has to be mind-boggling, right? I mean, there has to be so many people in the room trying to calculate all these numbers, figuring out, how exactly will you spend all your money? How will you spread it all out? Yeah, and, th- and those are things we, we spend a lot of time preparing for scenarios, outcomes. If, if player A is there, what will we do next? Um, so depending on what we do at 13, uh, you know, trickles down into the, the next few picks of, that, of the first day. And 
So you have to be ready for a lot of different things to happen. And it takes a lot of people, like you said, in the room to know what's going on, know how much players are going to sign for, how much they're not going to sign for, um, and be ready and being ready for every situation possible. And that's really the, the excitement of day one for us is it, it, it seems like it, it, it takes, you know, four or five hours at night, but it goes fast in the room. It, that's the, the rush of adrenaline that I think we feed off of. And, and the reason why we're in this crazy amateur market where players change so much, it's the chase and the excitement of actually getting them on, which is our Christmas day, which is day one of the draft. And you said you have an extra pick. So is that pick 39 and how exactly do you have an extra pick when other teams don't? Well, we, we alternate between there's two compensation rounds. Um, so last year we were in the B, uh, which is which is our pick 59 last year. This year we're in the compensation A, um, which is decided upon revenue and I believe attendance. So um, the, the league comes up with the, the teams that are eligible for those picks. So teams like the Dodgers and the Red Sox, uh, will, the Yankees will never have these picks because of payroll and and market size. So. Um, but we've been in it for the last few years, which has been great. Take us through the next handful of days. I know you have one more trip to make later this weekend, but when does everybody gather at Target Field next week? When do the pre-draft meetings really kick into high gear? And how many people total are we talking in the room? Um, so the, uh, a lot of this, we'll have our supervisors and a few other uh, area scouts that we've invited to the draft this year will be here They'll show up in Minneapolis Monday, Monday night, and then we'll start meeting next Tuesday. And we'll meet every day from 9 to 6.30 or so um, in time for guys to get out and get some sleep and get a meal. We try to stay rested. and um, But we'll have, whatever that is, five or six days straight of, of meetings, and we'll, we'll rank players, we'll stack our board. Um, and I some days there'll be... I think on draft day there's over 40 people in the room and there's at least 30 throughout the meetings. So this used to be, you know, perspective, there used to be probably less than 10 people in, in a draft room. And now there's 35, 40 on a given day. So wow, pretty full house. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I'll let you go after two more, Sean, uh, specifically on, on a couple college bats that have local ties. Let's start with Michael Bush of North Carolina, Simley High School, Invergrove Heights. How good is he? You know, he's he's been a really steady performer at North Carolina, uh, and, and you know, I think um, you know, college, again, he goes in that group of college bats that have he's performed again in a, in a really good conference, and, and guys like that just really don't get past you know the back of the first round. The latest is where I kind of I would if I had to bet where he goes is somewhere in there. So we like him a lot. You know, uh, we've seen him a lot, and he's always performed the days we've been there. His stats back that up. Um, just a tremendous hitter with uh, a lot of upside left. And then Matt Walner from Southern Mississippi by way of Forest Lake High School. Yeah, uh, he got off to a slow start, um, but he's rallied again to put up some numbers at Southern Miss and another guy that we've followed a lot and know very well. And, you know, both those guys obviously – you know, being being from the cities and and uh, our guys we've seen for a long time, we have a lot of history on, know, know very well, and we hope we get both those guys. 
And it's really not a strong high school year here in Minnesota. I mean, in years past, I mean, you think about a Sam Carlson from Burnsville High School, some other guys like Joe Maurer many, many years ago, but this just isn't a great high school year. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's it's not great, and it's certainly not the worst of all time, so it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think um, a lot of guys who will be tough, uh, just like Seth Halverson was when we took him, you know, tough guys to sign to keep them from going to the colleges they're going to. I mean, they're going to, you know, guys like Frisch and, and Gilbert are going to Oregon State, and, and I, I really don't, I don't blame players that want to go to Oregon State. No. It's a great program. So, you know, I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's just been an okay year, as you said. Sean brought up the names Frisch and Gilbert. They are the top two pitchers at Stillwater High School, the top two high school Major League Baseball draft prospects here in Minnesota. But, yeah, they are not going to go very high. Both guys will ultimately end up at Oregon State. We appreciate the time that Sean Johnson, Twins Director of Scouting, gave us the Major League Baseball draft with Sean driving the Twins car begins on Monday, June 3rd. It's a multi-day process. The Twins will end up drafting tons of guys. They will end up signing a lot, but a lot of guys they won't sign. They will draft pitchers, catchers, infielders, outfielders, the whole kitten caboodle. So we'll look forward to seeing what the Twins do here in just about, well, starting in 10 days. When we come back, my conversation with Wolves head coach Ryan Saunders. Welcome back, everyone, on this Friday night here on Score North. It is the Scoop Podcast. We continue before I get to my conversation with Wolves head coach Ryan Saunders. Let me detail the busy week that was for the Wolves. They had 12 draft prospects in town for workouts on Tuesday. Among the bunch, Tyus Battle of Syracuse and Ethan Happ of Wisconsin. A reminder that the Wolves, like many teams, do not publicly announce their draft workouts. That's why I make those part of the Scoop Podcast, figuring if I can track down who they are working out that may be of interest to you. Before the draft workouts on Tuesday, Ryan Saunders was introduced as coach. Wednesday, Gerson Rosas of the Wolves was in Phoenix along with Brian Pauga, director of personnel for a bunch of agency pro days. They were able to see former gopher Jordan Murphy workout. Gino Crandall of Gonzaga, he went to De La Salle High School. The headliners in Phoenix on Wednesday that Rosas and Pauga saw were Jared Culver of Texas Tech, Cam Reddish of Duke, and Keldon Johnson of Kentucky. Murphy, by the way, had his third team workout today with the Utah Jazz previously has worked out for the Wolves and the Grizzlies. Speaking of Gophers or former Gophers. He's not quite yet a former Gopher, but Amir Coffey on Thursday in New York City yesterday worked out in front of a bunch of NBA teams. The Wolves did have representation. He took part in the XL Sports Management Agency Pro Day. The headliner was Tyler Hero of Kentucky. Nas Reed of LSU also took part, but Amir Coffey was in that mix as well. Coffey had another team workout earlier this week with the Boston Celtics. So he's worked out for the Celtics, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Spurs, the Nets. He has until early next week. May 29th to declare. Will he keep his name in the draft or will he come back to the U and play his senior year? I will continue to say that I will not be surprised if he keeps his name in the draft if big emphasis on if, if he gets some sort of assurance that some team would give him a two-way contract. I do think there is a desire to start his pro career, but without any sort of assurance, it would make logical sense to come back for his senior year. We will know soon enough. No decision has been made as of yet. I know the family will gather this weekend and lay out, discuss all their options. I brought up the name Tyler Hero of Kentucky. So not only did the Wolves get a look at him Thursday in New York, but they will bring him to Mayo Clinic Square or Target Center, I guess, here to Minneapolis for a workout on 
Friday, today, the Wolves had General Manager Scott Layden and Brian Pauga in Chicago for the Priority Sports Agency Pro Day. That's Brandon Clark of Gonzaga. That's Ty Jerome of Virginia. Jonte Porter of Missouri. So many others. Admiral Schofield of Tennessee. Carson Edwards of Purdue. Bruno Fernando of Maryland. So the Wolves were represented very, very well in Chicago today. Heading into next week, Rosas will be in Los Angeles for a number of agency pro days. That includes the Wasserman Pro Day, where Rui Hachimura of Gonzaga will work out. There's all sorts of rumors about the Wolves being very, very much intrigued by Hachimura. Do I buy the reports that the Wolves have given him some sort of verbal promise that he is their guy at pick 11? I don't think any verbal promise has been made. I just think it's too early in the process still, and the Wolves are picking too late. What if a guy falls? I just don't think the Wolves have made any sort of promise. That being said, do I think that Hachimura is very, very much in their mix? I do. That is a name to study. If you're into the NBA draft, get to know the name Rui Hachimura. Then the Wolves, the week of June 1st, that first week of June, the Wolves are hosting a free agent camp. Briante Weber, some other G League All-Stars will be in town to take part. So that will keep the Wolves, Gerson Rosas, and company busy here the next few weeks. Rosas also heavily involved in helping Ryan Saunders assemble his staff. Plus Rosas looking to bring in new bodies to the front office. Keep an eye on the name Sanjay Gupta, who's currently the assistant general manager of the Detroit Pistons. I'm told he will interview for some sort of position underneath Rosas in the near future. A bunch of current Wolves have been in town this week for informal workouts. Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jeff Teagan, Robert Covington are also in town, but I'm told those two, after having off-season, or I guess maybe it was toward the latter part of the regular season, they had surgery going back a handful of weeks. Each did. Both guys are still continuing to rehab on Covington, there is no doubt, per Glenn Taylor, who was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, that Covington should be fine, should be good to go by the start of training camp, if not sooner. But right now, mid to late May, he's not quite there. But come later on in the spring or into the summer, maybe July, August, into September, Covington should be good to go. It'll be nice to see Ryan Saunders finally get to coach Robert Covington. Keep in mind that Covington, when he got hurt, was before Ryan Saunders took over for Tom Thibodeau. So Ryan technically is not coaching. Covington in one game, maybe just a practice here or there, but not in a game. Speaking of Ryan Saunders, here's my conversation with Ryan after Tuesday's news conference. Ryan, I talked to your mom. She told me that her and your dad early on recognized that you were special. When did you recognize that you were special? Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's. I think that that's a hard question because um, I think recognizing you're special. Uh, you know, maybe the fact that you haven't recognized that you're special um, is a quality that I think I, I'd like people to say about, say that, that that's who I am. Um, you know, just the humble, um, you know, humble recognition of it's about other people. Um, but if I, if I had to really dive into it, you know, I knew I had leadership qualities that could translate, um, especially at, at, at this level, um, at, you know, when, when I started playing basketball. And when I started getting into a, into a competitive setting, um, because ultimately all I wanted to do was win. But with that, I wanted to bring people and, and bring the best out of people. On connecting with people, your mom said, I think it was your grandma used to give you guys a dollar a piece, something like that. And you always wanted to share it. There was a Dairy Queen element yeah. to it. You guys wanted to go to Dairy Queen. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you're right. I mean, when you're speaking this, you're, it's not just lip service. No. It's something that existed when you were, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's, who, that's who I am. And... Um, you know, thankfully, that's who Gerson is. That's who Ethan is. That's who all the people in this 
you know, in the leadership roles in this organization, Mr. Taylor, that's who they are. Um, it's not about, you know, them as an individual. It's about, you know, helping others around them get better. And, and like Gerson said, questioning the norm, one, for you to get better, but also for this team to get better. Um, those are things and qualities that are extremely important. So having a, a partner like that in a partnership um, is something that for a first, first time head coach in terms of where you don't have the interim tag, um, that means a lot. Means a lot. Remember talking to your good friend Spencer Tollickson yep. in January. Yep. My, my old roommate. Yeah, and he said, I mean, Ryan knew when he was 14, 15, maybe even earlier than that, that one day he wanted to be a head coach. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the exact time you said, okay, I want to follow in my dad's footsteps? No, I don't know if it was ever an exact time, um, but I remember a number of times uh, being downstairs from here right now um, in the old Timberwolves practice facility in, in um, the Lifetime at the Target Center, sitting there watching um, my dad run a practice and um, saying, hey, I, I want to do this. Like, I can do this one day. Um, you know, and I guess that's where your, your confidence comes from, where you, you, you say, hey, I'm going to do this, and then you set, set your mind to something, um, and you push through some valleys, because um, there are going to be valleys, but there's also going to be a lot of, a lot of peaks. Um, and with that, you know, we, we get to a day like today that um, is special. I'll enjoy this day, but I'll also recognize and understand that, that tonight, as soon as I'm done with this day, um, I'll, be, I'll be watching games and I'll be getting ready. And you have been, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's been a process. I mean, what's that process been like, even going back many, many weeks? Yeah. Um, you know, people have kind of asked me, and, and the process is, is a, was a lot easier than people probably expect in, in terms of, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I approached it as, after the season, as I'm going to be the coach of this team. I truly meant that. And, you know, and anything I say, I do mean. Um, it's not just, just for, for lip service, like you said. But I'm going to coach this team until they tell me I'm not coaching this team. And for that reason, I still I stuck with the draft process. I stuck with everything. You know, um, chose to go to the combine last week, even while other interviews were going on. And those are uh, some great candidates, obviously. And I knew that this team was gonna, go, going to be in good shape, um, no matter what. Um, but I still wanted to stick to my process and, and who I was through all that. Um, and so just having that ultimate faith that everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to work out, um, you know, made, made me feel comfortable. Was it tough to make the decision to go to the combine? I mean, I have to imagine. How many people came up to you and said, okay, what's happening, yeah, right? A lot of people. What's going on, yeah, right? Like, was that just getting maddening after a while, answering uh, the same question? Yes and no. Yes and no, because... These are these are peers that you know. I like seeing all, all my friends and relationships I built in, in the NBA. Like that's what I like at the combine too. I like seeing players. And hey, we, we got into a situation at the end of last year where where we were looking at G League guys, and you know you don't have a lot of you don't get to see a lot of guys playing the G League during the season. Um, so for that reason, I wanted to, in, in case we had to get in, you know, hopefully we don't get in that situation um, where we're having to pull in, you know, random players at, at inopportune moments. Um, but I, I wanted to know who some of these guys were too. And so that was, you know, that was important to my process with it. But, you know, yes and no, it's frustrating, but it, it was more of a, um, you know, I had a number of coaching friends and people text me afterwards and say, you know, it just spoke to um, your, your integrity to the game. Um, so it says a lot. So ultimately it was a good thing. Anybody reach out to you that maybe surprised you? Not a lot of people. A lot of people have. I mean, I've, I haven't gone through, you know, I got probably close to 500 text messages and, um, you know, so if, if you text me, I promise I'll get back to you eventually. Um, I've just been trying to uh, ride this little wave for a little bit here. Let's go back to like your sophomore, junior year. Why is that high school? You're sitting in some boring math class or economics class. What would 
what would 15-year-old or 16-year-old Ryan Saunders tell 33-year-old Ryan Saunders today? Man, 15, 16-year-old Ryan Saunders, uh, well, math wasn't my, 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 my best subject in terms of, you know, the, the, the on textbook thing. I, I thought of everything more in basketball terms. So, one, he'd, he'd probably say, all right, let's, let's translate this. Because that, that's, believe it or not, that's actually what I used to do in, like, like math classes is I'd try to translate things into, you know, things that worked for me. Um, basketball, you know, statistics, things like that. So I think that's part of where my analytic background comes from. But um, he'd, probably, he'd probably tell me, you know, hey, just stay true to yourself through everything, and, and everything's going to work out the way it should. On Andrew Wiggins, and I know we have to wrap this up pretty quick, but I mean, that was a pretty good stretch there those final couple of weeks. There were some hiccups. I mean, the numbers were pretty comparable to his numbers under Tibbs, but it did seem like the way he finished the season. I mean, how much more is there with Andrew Wiggins? How much more can you get out of him? Well, it's all of us. It's, it's, um, it starts with Andrew, uh, but a lot of it's on me, too. I, you know, I need to keep trying to unlock um, you know, his abilities and putting him in positions that are going to be um, the best positions for him to succeed. And with that, you know, it's going to be a group effort. And Andrew's level of commitment, I mean, it's May, um, you know, early, mid-May right now. Um, you know, he's, he's here. And having guys like that, I mean, seeing that, you know, that's something that just gets you excited. How far away are you guys? I mean, as you're watching the, the Western Conference Finals, which are now over, the Eastern Conference Finals, those final four teams, or I guess now final three, how far away are you guys from, from those teams? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, I don't want to put, a, put an exact number or an exact timeline in terms of um, we understand there's work to be, be done, um, but we also understand how, how jumps can be made too. And um, you don't ever want, want to say, hey, we need to get to this point, we need to get to that point. But it's, it's uh, you know, you, you know that the work is going to be put in and if we take care of today, tomorrow will take care of itself. That was Wolves head coach Ryan Saunders. Two other Wolves notes, Malik Allen, who is the lone holdover from last year's assistant coaches, mainly because he's still under contract. All the other guys had Pinckney and company had expiring contracts, so all those guys were let go earlier this week. Anyway, Mark Stein of the New York Times reports that Allen is in the mix to replace Juwan Howard on Miami's coaching staff. Also, Xavier Munford. He has previous NBA experience with Memphis and Milwaukee. He is another name that will take part in the Wolves free agent camp June 1st to 3rd. When we come back here on the Scoop podcast, we'll catch up with two of the top high school recruits in the Metro. We'll get a recruiting update or two. Stay with us. It's final segment time here on Scoop Podcast episode 232. Middle of last week, I was over at Minnehaha Academy catching up with a bunch of their big-time college recruits. Let's start with junior Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs is one of the top basketball players in the entire country in the class of 2020. He is also a top-flight quarterback with college offers from Ohio State, from the Gophers, from Iowa State, and others. He can pretty much name any program in the country that he wants to play for when it comes to basketball, when it comes to football, he has unbelievable options. He will play his senior year of football, but all signs point to him going the basketball route in college. I caught up with him. He's on a little bit of a break. His AAU team, they play on the Under Armour circuit. They have a little bit of a break right now. So I began my conversation with Jalen asking about the start of his AAU season. Then we went from there. Here's my conversation with Jalen Suggs. Eight and four through 12 AAU games. I mean, some good, but also with the four losses, some bad. Is that how you would maybe summarize these 12 games so far? I thought we played real well. Uh, first loss was the first loss was tough. We lost by one. They came back. They played real well in the second half. Uh, we didn't play the best. Uh, but other than that, we played real good basketball. We're all playing with each other, for each other. 
and doing all the right things, all the little things, and uh, it's showing. And uh, an eight and four record, everybody's getting you know scholarship offers and looks, and that's the goal. That's the goal at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean you're right. I mean every time I check Twitter, it seems like you, Prince, Chet, are being offered by a new school. I mean, can you keep track of all the new offers you're getting? Uh, nah, nah. It gets to be a lot, but like I said, it's a good time building relationships with the coaches and new schools and having them come in and watch, you know, all my other guys. So them coming in, uh, it's not only beneficial to me, but beneficial to them, and they get to show off their talents as well. What coaches have been in in recent days or recent weeks, I guess? Um, I think we've had about Gonzaga, uh, Iowa, uh, Marquette came through, uh, and about two, three others uh, that have come, you know, just kind of said what's up, checked in, uh, see how me and my guys are doing. So they're definitely doing, they're definitely showing love. Minnesota, I mean, are they ramping up? I mean, you know, there was a transition there with Ben Johnson who recruited a lot of the Metro and then he moves on to Xavier. Has Richard Pitino in particular maybe picked up the local recruiting front? Uh, yeah, and he's done a pretty good job, him and Coach Jeter. Um, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job. They brought in some pretty good recruits for this next class, uh, in both grad transfers and in, uh, you know, and in the 2019 class. So they're on, they're, on, they're on the right track. They're doing all the right things, and uh, hopefully it comes together for them next year. Yeah, remind us, I mean, Trey Williams. Are you guys related by blood, or are you just you guys go way back? But Trey Williams will play for the Gophers next year. I mean, you're incredibly close too. Uh, we used to go way back. Um, like I said, he's been there ever since. You know, I've been a little kid, you know, running around. He was high energy. I was high energy, but not like him. Uh, but that that's my people. Uh, you know, I always count him, uh, count him as family, and I got his back to whatever. So it'll be good to have him down here, and I'll be able to be around him again for a majority of the time. Take us through your busy June. What? Like USA Basketball commitments and then the NBA Players Association camp? Um, yeah, I got the USA Basketball. That'll run through the, well, the MBPA is right before USA Basketball. About a, I think I'd have like a day break in between. So I think I'm going to just rest my body, make sure that I'm fresh and sharp going into uh, USA Basketball. This is a big year, uh, 2019, or I meant uh, U19. Um, so it'll be a tough task, you know, making the team. Hopefully I go in there, play well, and uh, do what I got to do to get on the team. Then how about the NBA PA invitation? I mean, anytime you've got NBA attached to an invitation, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely good. Um, appreciate it a lot. You know, I'm really grateful for it. Uh, but like I said, just the timing doesn't really work out. You know, if it was a little sooner, uh, you know, a little later after USA, you know, I'd probably see myself out there. But going going straight from that to USA, you know, it's tough on the body. USA is already as hard uh, and wear, a hard wear and tear on the body itself. So. I mean, tough to do both, so I think I'm going to just focus on USA and prioritize that. Speaking of wear and tear, are you able to get any football work in now, or does that just snap of the fingers kick in come mid-August? Um, a little bit here and there, but really it'll kind of kind of start kicking in after uh, towards the end of AU season, and once AU, August starts for sure, um, that's when I really ramp it up and kind of put basketball to the side and bring the picks in out one last year. What's it like playing with, I mean, your guys? I mean, not a lot of kids have that opportunity on the AAU circuit, but when I mean, you're playing with your guys, right? Chet, Prince, Caden, those are your guys. Oh, it's great. Uh, those are my people. Those are the people I see every day. Um, so, like I said, we have great relationship. We always have fun on the court. You know, we, you may see us argue, which goes on a bit, but it's all out of love and it's all out of competitive nature and us trying to get each other better. So, like I said, it's been a lot of fun. This is definitely by far my funnest, most fun AAU season. And uh, sad to say it's my last one, but going to try to end it out on a good, on a good note. Recap the in-home visit that Richard Patino recently had with you. Uh, it was great. Uh, we, we didn't really talk too much basketball, kind of talk life and how things are going. We talked, you know, a bit about Minnesota and the fit and where it sees me there. And so it, it, was, it was a really good visit. I say it really laid back and 
really allowed me just to sit and have a conversation and really get. I already have a great one, but I'm more of a feel for him as a person. How much are you supporting Craig McDonald with what he's going through right now, where he hopes to be eligible for his senior year? A hundred percent. You know, I see, I see where the MSHSL is coming from. Rules are rules, but I mean, the kid has done nothing wrong. He's he's been nothing but a positive influence, not only on our football team, but for the community. You know, a lot of the little kids here look up to him. Uh, you know, he's a great example for the younger guys, and that's my brother. Uh, therefore, I have his back through any and everything. Um, so, like I said, we're fighting it. Um, hopefully, you know, MSHSL will let him play for a senior year, uh, you know, which is different because this is last one. Now it's not even about getting the scholarships. It's not about, uh, you know, it's not about any of that. School is nothing. It's about having a good time and playing a game that he loves with his brothers. So, like I said, I'm there for him. Craig McDonald is an Iowa State commit, really good defensive back who turned down the Gophers. The State High School League has said he is ineligible. It's a crazy, crazy story, ineligible to play his senior year, his senior year of football for SMB. So Jalen Suggs, Craig McDonald, they won a state championship last year for the co-op with Minnehaha Academy, Blake and St. Paul Academy. It's a very detailed story. The State High School League does things very much by the book. There isn't much leeway there. They're not exactly the best organization to deal with, but hopefully for Craig McDonald's sake, he can get his way hopefully through an appeals process. Maybe the State High School League's decision can be overturned. On Suggs trying out for Team USA, that is in mid-June in Colorado Springs, the USA under-19 team he'll be competing against. Well, I mean, really, they're all trying to represent Team USA, the United States, in the World Cup, but really when... Thinking about his chances of making the team, he'll be competing against some guys that just got done with their freshman year in college. Guys like Tyrese Halliburton of Iowa State. You've got Trevion Williams of Purdue, Bryce Wills of Stanford, then a number of 2019 kids. Guys that are just about to graduate from high school will try out. That includes Zeke Naji of Hopkins, then a number of McDonald's All-American types. So Suggs, class of 2020, will be one of the youngest players in Colorado Springs mid-June. Bruce Weber of Kansas State the head coach of that USA team. So if Suggs makes that team, that would be an unbelievable accomplishment considering the guys that have much more experience than him that he'll be competing against. Next up is my conversation with Prince Alegbe, just about to finish his freshman year at Minnehaha Academy. Richard Patino and the Gophers recently offered him. He's got many, many collegiate offers already. Class of 2022. My gosh, already one of the best players in the metro area about to finish his ninth grade year. Here's my conversation with Prince Alegbe. Prince, how are you handling all the recruiting attention? I mean, it's been happening for a while, but it seems like in the last handful of weeks, I mean, every time I check Twitter, it seems like you're getting a new offer. How are you handling it all? I mean, with me playing with my high-profile teammates with Jalen and Chad and Caden, also in football, and other people like Craig McDonald during the basketball season, you get kind of used to how and you see how they handle with all their interests and college offers coming through. So you learn from them, and you can just take it, each one, be grateful for each one, but also make sure you take, take time to reach every coach. So I'm just making sure I'm building relationships with each one and not trying to push anything or rush anything. You're right, grateful for everyone. But are you in particular really grateful for the home state, the hometown Gophers offering you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I really was excited about that one when it came after the state tournament in March. I talked about it with my dad, and he was excited about it too. So it was just a good conversation. I talked to Coach uh, Jeter about it after too so we had a good conversation about that have you been able to talk to coach patino yet oh not yeah i can't can't do that because i'm too young but at the same time it would be nice to talk to him in the future though i mean any plans i mean what do the rules allow for you checking them out or checking out any program at this point i mean as of right now i 
guess I can take unofficial visits to schools, but as of right now, since it's really iffy, I'm not trying to do too much. But at the same time, I can start taking like officials by August, I guess, and I can start going on more campuses during that time. So after the AAU season. Can you like top of your head? Can you name all the offers that you have? Uh, 13 of them, but I'll try. So you have Western Kentucky, Illinois, Florida, Maryland, Iowa, Minnesota, Georgia, uh, Missouri, Hampton, Tennessee. Uh, ooh, I'm forgetting two more. Uh, and I have I oh Iowa State, California. And my recent one is, uh, what's my most recent one? Oh, Virginia Tech. I mean, West Virginia. There you go. And then are there some other schools that maybe like are on the verge of offering you? Oh, yeah, for sure. That would be schools like Purdue and schools like, and just uh, only, uh, only Purdue. They've been recruiting me ever since the beginning of the season. Talked to me a lot, came to a couple practices, workouts, you know, individually. I also could say Wisconsin, too, at the same time, so yeah. Is it just crazy? I mean, just trying to rattle all that off, remember everything as, as you're trying to be? I mean, heck, you haven't even finished your ninth grade year. I mean, you're just trying to be a normal student. Yeah, it, it takes a toll. I mean, I always get feedback from my friends and parents of my friends and much more every single time I get off. I mean, I'm truly grateful, but at the same time, it's all happening so fast, so I got to learn how to take it all in at once, but also with the people around me in my circle, so yeah. Who wins, you guys against D1 Minnesota? Uh, I'm going to go with the nation. I can't say nothing about that. They have good talent over there, and we do too. But at the same time, we have that grit, that girth, and much more. Just that goon in every each one of us. So we'll take that one. When you say girth, what what are you right now height-wise and weight-wise? Uh, myself, I'm 220, and I'm 6'6". Yeah. Okay, so 6'6", but are the growth plates still open? Are you still growing? Oh, yeah, maybe 6'8", but for sure 6'7". So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're still growing. So, I mean, are you more like, for people who don't know, are you like a wing? I mean, can you play the two, the three? Can you even play some small ball four? Uh, I can for sure guard the four spots. I'm trying to get to the five, guard all five positions on defense-wise. But for offense, I'm, I can play point guard, do that a lot on my AAU team with Jalen and Chet sometimes playing post so they can get open themselves. I know how to play the shooting guard because I can catch and shoot. I know how to play the three spot, which is my most natural position because of my athleticism. And I'm used to playing the four down low because I can also post up people. So, How much has your game evolved then? I mean, when you talk about all that, were you able to do all that even like say a year ago? Like circle back to May of 2018. Could you have done all that? All of that, it first starts out on defense. I learned how to play defense on all those spots, and I learned from playing against people like Jalen and other top people in the country. So at the same time, I just learned a lot of stuff from them and Chet. So it takes a lot of skill to play each position, but trying to play like a motion sport, a motion play, you know, like positionless basketball, that's my goal. Prince Olegbe of Minnehaha Academy, just about to finish his freshman year. Richard Patino and the Gophers and many others want him badly. We're up against the clock. We are done. Have a great holiday weekend. This has been Scoop Podcast Episode 232.